Welcome to the Challengers podcast. I think we're going to be calling this the banking podcast from now on. I'm your co-host, Zach Miller, Tearsheets Editor-in-Chief. Joining me is Josh Liggett. You want to introduce yourself, Josh? What's going on, Zach? Josh Liggett from our crowd, principal on the investments team. And uh, my tuxedo was in the cleaners for this episode. I apologize to all those We'll take you as watchers. is. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're more the neo bank and not the traditional bank, I see. You got to you got to keep it light and breezy, as they say. And uh, we're here to talk about banking, all sorts. Um, we want to explore sort of those topics and, and those companies that are that are making news and making moves in the uh, in the industry. And so uh, Josh and I have different perspectives and we're here to chat about some of those those important stories. Yeah, man, let's do it. Startup side, Zach Miller side, Josh Liggett side, fourth side that we got to figure out. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> You're playing four-dimensional chess here. So always let's talk about Dave. Um, so maybe taking a step back, Dave, you know, Neobank really kind of ramped very significantly in its early days, started as sort of a um, uh, overdraft avoidance tool and moved into sort of square into challenger banking and ramped to millions of customers and then went public via SPAC, right? That it did. It did go public in the SPAC craze of, uh, of you know, of last year, which will be right at the tail end, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yeah, right at the end. Yeah. And um, so, what's happened subsequently is, as a public entity, I guess Dave had its first uh, its first earning season. Things did not go so well. Shocking, <laughs> shocking. <when> I-, <laughs> I love how Josh says it as it is. Yeah. So, I mean, go go. It's it's not. You know, it's not specific to Dave. Like we've seen this time and again with the SPACs that that did go get out into the public markets that um, a lot of the projections, a lot of the hype um, behind these companies, once they hit public markets, sort of the the uh, the gloss was taken off. Huh? Well, I think it's also what's happened in probably from, you know, the big pullback that's happened the last few months, everyone taking a step back before, you know, the market would tolerate a private, you know, a a private company going public, not necessarily having that path to profitability or break even the old union economics that you talk about. Yeah, never. We never spoke about that ever. (laughs) And, uh, and, and sort of that was justified because of growth. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that's not justified anymore. They want to see that path. And we've seen that with some, you know, great fintech product companies. Now, obviously like you and I have spoken about Dave in the past and a lot of these other ones, these are great products. Like these are mm-hmm. really good products. They're great. They're awesome. With users. People with tons of users. People love them. But then when you get to like earning season and now you got to talk about the numbers and, and you know, and talk about revenue growth and, you know, and user growth and, and increasing, you know, net like increasing burn, you know, you know, negative net operating income, it leads to shareholders not necessarily acting in the happiest manner. Uh, so to speak, to put it lightly. So, so I think what happens here, I, and I saw some of the numbers, unfortunately, I don't have them necessarily in front of me, but um, I think there's also, uh, given where Dave placed itself as sort of um, a protector of overdraft fees, um, compared to some of the other neo banks or traditional banks, also, it's, it's not as sticky. Um, it's not the type of thing you need to go and keep checking and hitting uh, multiple times throughout the month. 
Um, so I think some of their usability numbers were a little bit lower. Um, and then there, so, so what happened was Dave went public, uh, growth wasn't what people expected. And then um, in forward guidance, I think Dave significantly ratcheted down um, what uh, next year's revenues were going to be. Um, I think I saw by 160 million bucks or something, which is all the revenue that the company did last year. Um, it was reduced by that amount this year. So um, as you're saying, like, you know, union economics, they may, they come into the public light, right? And they do matter at a certain point. And uh, so, so let me ask you this. So is this just a matter of Dave now? They've got the users, they've got, it is a good product, as you said. Is it just a matter now of layering on more profitable things like lending? Well, it, you can go one of two ways. If you look at Dave, right? Like what are they, they, they don't charge anything for overdraft. So they're losing money on that period because they either they're doing it off their, I don't know exactly how they're doing it. Either they're doing it off their own balance sheet or they're doing it off of uh, you know, a, a line from a bank, you know, they're paying interest on that. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you have, then you have, uh, or they're just sitting on the cash flow and have to figure out when to get it back. Right. Which is okay. But if they can do it off their balance sheet, that's great. But you need all the capital. And then if you with defaults and all that stuff, mm -hmm. one or the other, um, the, and the problem is they're charging like four bucks for that for a zero. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For, no, I think it like per, yeah, basically a month. Cause it's like per, you know, every time that you send it, they, do you want it now? Or do you want it in like two days? If you want now it's this price. And if it's two days, you want this price. So like, yeah, people really like it because you're basically giving them something for free for like a dollar. Mm -hmm. Of course I want it, you know, and then you're, and shockingly you're losing money on it. So either they have to, and this scale is scale massively, like hundreds of millions of users. Not, huh? not, I don't even know. Even, even that may not be the issue. You could sort of do like what, you know, I saw a TikTok about this, about freelancers, where a freelancer says, I'm busy all the time. And they say, you know, double your fees, you'll be half as busy, but make as, you know, but make the same amount of money. So either they have to up the fees, they'll For churn out, week, they baby. will, yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll have to up the fees and they will churn like crazy, mm -hmm. out of control churn. And that will be so ugly short term, you know, looking that and you know it, people in you know people may freak out over the you know the user growth will, will, will you know your cohorts will look ugly over the period of time you know you'll have really bad churn um or you know they and but they'll, they'll be making more money and hopefully getting to better unit economics or they have to upsell in other areas mm -hmm. and add in more tools now then the question is now you're doing more marketing product development is the board are the investors going to be willing to sit with the time that it takes to add another product. Are they going to have mm -hmm. to buy a company? It's it's. Does the brand extend into that, right? So Dave exactly. has a certain brand value, like does moving into short-term consumer loans make sense? You know, like does, I don't know. And then are they going to charge zero for short-term consumer loans as well? Like, where, right, you know, right. if you're, if you're trying to stay consistent with, with the approach of giving capital is for basically as cheap as possible, how are you going to do that? Like you said, on the branding side. So, you know, they're not in, they're not in a horrible position. You know, they're still worth a couple billion, which is still nice, you know, to be worth a couple billion dollars. And they still have a lot of users. I, you know, the revenue growth was not where it has to be. I think it was like 16% year over year, which, which isn't great. Um, and their burn was, was, you know, was higher, um, but they're going to have to figure this out. And, uh, I mean, I imagine they're going to have to start charging more. I, I can't see a world where they don't. It's hard to imagine not charging more. So, so I guess that second option that you gave, which was, you know, adding new products or buying companies or, or whatever, like that's what Moneylion did um, when they hit public markets. They immediately bought two companies. Um, one was a creative agency 
Um, and one was even financial embedded products marketplace and very smartly, you know, a similar story, I guess, um, of a sort of, uh, plain vanilla, good product, um, with probably low monetization metrics, but, you know, building something with, with a lot of users and, and has a brand and, and can now extend into other, other places. And so you see, you see Moneyline did that with, with buying, buying other companies to, uh, to establish themselves. So it'll be interesting. Like, do you think Dave gets into something like BNPL or something? I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I, again, like it goes down to, wait, is this something a colored card could fix? Only green titanium, color, titanium green <laughs> from Mars with, with an NFT could fix it. Obviously Zach, they don't need more users. Cards yeah. are users. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. Cards are, are the driving force of a business. I apologize. Of of, of a challenger bank, you know that, that is card color adoption. I, I you brought it up, not me, but uh, but I mean, are they color adoption index? I like the, how you just just <laughs> with CC. We don't color, talk about AD, that anymore. CC, That's what's ADI. wrong in this market. We don't that talk about wrong. cards. We're not launching the same number frequency of cards because now they're all digital BNPL cards that you don't need a card sure. anymore. Now we need an NFT of my digital card, you know, then it'll be that, that I change color depending on my mood. I think there was one that changed my, changed the color the mood, card. Change, mood card or something like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, yeah, you go. Well, so, so, so that's an interesting thing. Um, BNPL, I guess everybody's kind of coming at the same thing from different directions, right? So BNPL, I just spoke to the head of risk at a firm, have a podcast coming out today. Um, a firm doesn't see itself as a BNPL company. Um, it's a consumer finance company. Um, and so BNPL was just one leg into it. Um, but there's a buy now function, which I, th whenever I saw that announced, I thought Josh Liggett would find that hilarious. They don't have a like buy now, pay later. They actually have a buy now function, which is like, they launched that product, which is funny because it's just a, a buy now button, but, um, they're, they want to be. When a consumer goes shopping, they want to be the car. They want to be the bank. They want to be the financial institution that supports those rails um, from payments to returns to logistics to all that kind of stuff. That, that's what you see most of the BNPL companies moving into. And so they're now sort of, in, at least in the consumer's mind, the sort of home bank, primary bank, um, and they have a, a built-in revenue model. They make money as they do this. So is it just a better model to start with that? I mean, maybe at the same time, affirm, I mean, we have to, I haven't deep dive deep in the affirm unit economics and, and, you know, and, and revenues. I mean, they're still burning cash. It's not like they're, they're a profitable company, but you could argue that it's, the, you know, what, what sort of what BNPL is with, with the companies that are running these programs is pretty similar to what an issuing bank does. Mm -hmm. I mean, in many senses, and issuing banks can become incredibly profitable. So, you know, it's sort of, how do you skin a cat? How are you going after it? So now could it be that BNPL is replacing challenger banks and then challenger banks are going after BNPL? Like, I mean, could it be, could we do that? Sure. We could absolutely do that. Like it can, it can go into that direction because people either searching for users or searching for revenues. It's like, you know, pretty, pretty simple. Or, and then Gavin, the, I think something that we've spoken about Many times, and I know something you've been an advocate about for, for many years is the idea of people banking with brands that they appreciate, 
mm-hmm. that they like and they like working with. And, and that's been spoken obviously about embedded finance. Um, you know, what can we, you know, what brand isn't going to be all, every brand offering financial services. But the reality is that you could, you could brand just like most people don't leave their first bank. It could be that most people don't leave their first challenger bank, FinTech, that they actually like and use, not like uses like, hey, I got this thing on the side that I throw cash in every once in a while just to like do whatever. You know, I, it would be interesting to see, you know, in five years from now, 10 years from now, where the next generation of Robinhood comes out, mm-hmm. when all the people who got super into Robinhood, you know, because of the great UX and because of how easy it is and because of all the hype that went around, you know, with, you know, the past couple of years, are they just going to, even if it's an, even if it's a superior product, that's even that it's cheaper or better UX or whatever, are they just going to stay on Robinhood because I like Robinhood and or, or that's just my go-to. takes too much energy or effort to yeah, switch. Right? Which is some fati- you- I feel like I feel like there's fatigue in the market, you know, um, there's so many options now, like oh, I'm going to move again and again and again. But there, it's also, I think there's some, I remember seeing a statistic that like the first bank account you open, you just like people, it's rare that people close that bank account. Yeah. Unless exactly. you move, unless you like go to a different country, you know, it's, you're just going to keep it because yeah, I have that bank account. Cool. You know, so it could, could it be like that with fintech brands that you actually use as your primary financial tool? Not like I have seven challenger banking apps on my phone and I don't use any of them because like, I felt like it, but like the one I actually interact with mm-hmm. and it could be that with a company like Dave or a company like a firm where people really enjoy the product. They like the UX, they, they like, you know, the CEO, they like the community around it, sort of like community banking, quote unquote, mm-hmm. it could be, they stick with that for a long time. And then as they add more products, they just upsell them, you know, over time. It's, that's, I think that's a it's- very strong possibility. The rebundling, right? The un- it was the unbundling, and now Absolutely. you've built a brand, and you and you get your initial few million users. And now you just start to layer more things in, and absolutely, it, it's sort of like it's, it feels a little depressing, right? Because like you sort of want to be like to be a meritocracy, like the best products win, but yeah, maybe, maybe the initial best products do win, um, but then it's just a matter of, of scaling a business, which is hard. It's just hard. It's hard for any business to do. I've been I've been in tech way too long to know that uh, to believe that you know the best tech wins. It's all you know. It's a product. I, a lot of times, the best product wins, or it's the first one to market. In many instances that just people yep. like, and then all, everyone copies that UX. I mean, I was looking at like I was when I was talking, chatting with somebody about Discord. I'm like, have you looked at Discord? It's mm-hmm. Slack. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like the same like. The UX is like, this looks exactly like Slack. And just, so because people got uncomfortable with this weird, you know, dashboard mm-hmm. that Slack came out with and that got market adoption and now people like it now. And so you're going to have that with uh, whether, you know, you want to talk to a behavioral economic a behavioralist or, mm-hmm. you know, a, uh, somebody who's going to chat about product design and, and addiction or whatever, all that fun stuff that you want to talk about, but like, Habit building, Josh. Yeah, with that—that's the—is that the right term for it? As opposed to addiction, <laughs> habit building. Um, you know, that's like uh, behavioral triggers. Yeah, it's like you—you yeah. you, you find a UX that works, and then everyone just copies that with different functions. And like, it, you try. You, someone may come out with something that's more novel or more interesting theoretically, but if the masses are just used to something, then it's hard for hard to change it. It's a funny story. It has nothing to do with anything, but. Um, MetaBank, which is, you know, a, a, a bank that's acquired a few different assets, acts as a partner bank, has some payments assets. And um, anyway, it just rebranded today. Um, but 
the fact that they choose the word, there was the term MetaBank. People thought uh, Meta, which is Facebook, <laughs> this was like the Metaverse bank for Meta. And actually, it, it they saw business from this over the past Hardcore. while. This wasn't the, the story was about it rebranding. Um, and then Facebook ended up buying their uh, their their um, brand assets. Yeah, they're gonna do. I just thought that was a very interesting, funny story. That's like that's like when Zoom being in the right Zoom, place when Zoom yeah. went public and the the other Zoom like stock went through the roof because people thought that the was payments. Zoom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I know you were at a conference today. I know uh, Rebecca, who's ahead of our studio, said she heard you speak. Um, maybe tell the listeners and watchers a little bit about viewers, a little bit yeah. about what that <laughs> conference was about, what you spoke about. Yeah. So I, I moderated a panel at the Tel Aviv FinTech Week. Uh, about DeFi. Um, the title was banks versus, uh, you know, blockchain. And uh, we had one person from a bank in Israel, one person from a bank in the UAE, and then three startups, one working in wallet, one working in custodian, one working in like uh, creating smart contracts and stuff like that. And so we had a lot of different perspectives. And so, you know, the interesting thing, the inter a lot of interesting things came out of it. The first thing was that everyone agreed that it's not DeFi versus banks, it's banks and DeFi. Like they all agreed, you know, um, that this is something that's interesting. Um, we asked, I asked them about what was, you know, what was missing from the market, you know, what was missing, why there isn't mainstream adoption for DeFi yet. And, you know, what the banker said, obviously, three magic letters of KYC, um, you know, which is, and, and the other three of AML, which is why a lot of banks, you know, are, are hesitant to touch blockchain, you know, blockchain assets or DeFi assets um, because of that cloudy nature, uh, so to speak, of, you know, where everything came from. An interesting one that was brought up was about education, education UX, um, you know, getting people to understand and, and, and get it better. And, and what came out that was really funny is that this was, the conference was on a Tuesday in Tel Aviv in the basement of, uh, not the basement, but downstairs at the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange with like, you know, a couple hundred people there who, you know, 10 in the morning at a panel about DeFi. So we're talking, you know, like you had to make an effort to get there and, and sit in the panel. And there were people outside mingling. These people wanted to see this. And I, you know, before we started the panel, I, I told that all the regulators to close their eyes and ears and ask the crowd, you know, about 150, 200 people in the crowd, um, you know, how many people here have used staking or, you know, liquidity pools or decentralized exchanges, you know, or whatever. How many of you in the crowd have actually participated in that? My analyst who was in the crowd was there and I knew he has. So I knew I was going to at least one. So you had at least one. Yeah, you I knew I got one. Yeah, did somebody plant? I had yeah. a plan. I planted yeah. it and I pointed. I was like, I know you have to raise your hand. Um, and uh, four people raised their hands. Wow. And I, that just shows that at a conference like this where, you know, these, this should be the whole room. Should, these should are people building the stuff. Yeah. yeah. These are people interested, like, like forgetting, forgetting that they're probably part of the 1% that actually understands what a liquidity pool is, mm -hmm. you know, which 99% of people have no idea what that is, you know, and, and everything around, you know, DeFi, no, most people don't understand it. They can't use it. I mean, they're not using it either because they're hesitant or because, you know, it's hard to use or because, uh, they, they, there's, they just don't understand it 100%. They get freaked out when an exchange says they're offering 7% APR on, on, on an asset. They don't know what to do. Uh, like this has to be a Ponzi scheme or some, something fake, you know? And so that was, that, that was that, the interesting comment. And then 
at the end, I asked, I had, I said, we, had, we, we spoke about emerging markets is, you know, is DeFi going to, you know, get in front of banks and emerging markets, uh, traditional finance in emerging markets, which there were, you know, mixed feelings back and forth. Um, and then the last thing we obviously had to talk about NFTs and everybody, including the banker was very positive about NFTs in the long yeah. run. And that's saying NFTs where they are right now is, is, you know, just like, I think one person pointed out that the first app on an iPhone was like a fart button. And the thing where you like turn your thing and it turn your phone and it makes it look it, like you're drinking a beer. Yeah. You know, like that were those were the first apps. Or a now, leveler. Like, yeah. yeah, leveler. I still use my phone as a leveler. It's great. So like the the first those were the first apps for like these like things that were like, I don't People really just know. Playing around. Yeah. yeah. So that's sort of where they see, you know, where where everyone was talking about NFTs in terms of, you know, actual assets, real estate, bill of lading. Um, you know, securities, all the non saying NFTs, mortgages, are everything. Pick an asset and turn it, you know, tokenize it, you know, and do all sorts of crazy things with it and, and can go a lot further um, than traditional assets. And, you know, that, that was something that was very, I was very happy that, you know, people on the same page on, especially having a banker talk about, you know, yeah, like I love NFTs. I think they're great. Um, you know, so that was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, there were some, we laughed a lot. We made sure the lawyers were, Everyone was happy, cleared everything with the lawyers afterwards and make sure there were no comments that would get anybody in trouble. Uh, but no, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good panel. That's awesome. I'm sorry I missed it. Um, apropos that, though, I just want to say to, to, to our audience out there that uh, Tearsheet is um, hosting a, um, something we're calling Bank Chain, which is blockchain and banking put together, a term that we made up. Um, it's our first inaugural conference in the space. It's in May. Um, it's a full day online. Uh, we have some complimentary tickets up on the website. If you head to the website, um, all the top firms in DeFi that are creating products and services that work with traditional finance uh, will be there talking about how, 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 this, how this all takes place and some of the early use cases and maybe where they think it's headed in the future. So I definitely encourage our listeners to check that out. Um, I think we're nearing the end. Um, of our conversation today, Josh, was there anything else you wanted to share? I think there was one thing we wanted, I wanted to chat mm -hmm. about, which was Apple made a little tiny, with the credit kudos a acquisition. Tiny, I mean, the, the question is a when, when, when yeah. Apple pays a hundred million dollars for a company, do they need to get a full approval or can they just write the check on the spot? Like in the I, meeting at the Starbucks, you know, <laughs> it's like in the marketing budget. Yeah. So uh, they brought, uh, I think you're referring to the credit kudos acquisition. Um, so I know on, on Forbes, Ron Shevlin from Cornerstone uh, said, you know, that basically the way people are thinking about the story. Um, so, so credit kudos is sort of an open finance data platform. Um, most people, or most stories, I guess, that followed were talking about why Apple would be doing that's the question. So like the, 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 the acquisition was so small, but the real interesting part of this is when you think about, well, where, where's Apple headed? Um, so he said there were basically four things that people were saying that one is that Apple's is going to launch the car, their card in the UK, but that's unlikely because Goldman Sachs backed the first one and they already have a, a foothold in the UK. And why would you need this? Another one was offer buy now, pay later, apropos what we had said previously. Um, also, he didn't think that that was necessarily true. Enable account to account ADA payment via Apple Pay. And the fourth was a tech or talent grab. Uh, he ultimately said that he didn't think it was any of those four things, um, but that it was either building out a digital e-commerce system um, like Square and Klarna have, or improving its data management analytics capability. Um, 
those seem more likely than the first four. Do you have a do you have a dog in the fight or? Do I have a dog? I mean, as long as the apple card is pretty, that's all I care about. But it's <laughs> it's it's surprising. Like, it was surprising to me because you know, like you said, they've partnered in the past with what we when the apple card first came out, we were really excited. Apple's sitting on God knows how much cash. Yep. You know, if would Apple actually go out and underwrite their own credit card? You know, that would like wow, like would that would be like such a crazy happening. And then we find out that okay, it's traditional credit rails. You know, Goldman's backing it and Apple front end. They're mm-hmm. basically just like, that's fine. Like, but it wasn't that like, mo- like we, we joked around on Twitter how people were talking about how monumental this is. It wasn't that monumental, but it just showed mm-hmm. Apple getting into the, you know, getting into the market. So doing this, I, I, like you said, I'd be surprised if they went to try to build their own credit card straight up because in the past they've partnered rather than built themselves in, in this space, in, you know, while doing things like this. But what's interesting, and I think what's overlooked sometimes is sometimes it's like an infrastructure play. It's in the guts, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a little more different. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And like licenses and all that stuff. These those plays can can come out and you know yield uh, results down the road, and they can be small acquisitions. I mean, we were chatting about you know final getting a you know Goldman acquiring final. I think back in 2018, which was you know some people have said that's sort of part of their credit card packaging you know, and sort of the, the guts behind it, mm-hmm. um, you know, that it came from that, which I, it was, it was a acquisition that they didn't even release. It was basically an aqua hire. So I don't think it was, it was a number, they didn't release how much it was for. So it must not have been that meaningful. Um, and then you had a, a, another one, which didn't go through, which was when Ant tried to buy MoneyGram, basically for the license of the infrastructure, to, which mm-hmm. was obviously a much bigger check and it was a huge acquisition and it was in the billions, but they didn't really care about the business. They cared more about the infrastructure. Like you said, mm-hmm. that, that was the play. So is there an infrastructure play around this perhaps, or maybe it's a talent grab. I, you know, I, I don't know, but it's, but I don't sleep on big tech companies or big, you know, financial players coming in with these small acquisitions that sometimes fly under the radar that, that end up being like a big part of, a, a long-term strategy that doesn't come to fruition for like three years. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Cause I think Ron Shevlin in his article says that Apple's sort of renowned for that. Well, they'll make this like, this is typically a good size acquisition. Like Apple typically buys companies in this size. Um, and then you don't really see what Apple's was thinking about or what they were doing with it until three, two or three years later, exactly like you said. So um, uh, it'll, it's something to talk about. Um, you know, I think I think you're right. We were looking for something monumental, something transformative with the Apple Card. It, it wasn't. Um, I'm sure it's a good business. I haven't looked at the numbers recently. Um, I'm sure it's a good business for Apple, but and it has lots of ecosystem, you know, value to what Apple is doing. But it, it wasn't the transformative product that we were, we were maybe hoping it would would be. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great listen. Not not to revamp on it, but it was, it's a great idea. It's reinforcing, you know, the Apple Pay function and and the you know. Apple hold cash, the, the Apple the cash and mm-hmm. the fight with the different wallets, which we spoke about years ago when Walmart, you know, had put, they try to put that consortium together. Yeah. <laughs> Walmart, you know, left, you know, the whole, you know, putting the consortium together to fight the Google wallet and the app, the Android wallet, the Apple wallet. It, it, it's a reinforce. It, it's something that makes sense. It's a reinforcing move to try to, you know, simple, clean, take them, you know, go to market much quicker without the regulatory headache, you know, it, it, but we sort of yearn for more, you know, from sort of like the, you know, the Steve Jobs days of this, you know, 
crazy, these crazy, you know, ideas coming from Apple or, or I think we look companies. to big tech for that yeah. um, as those breakthrough products. And they haven't in finance yet. Um, no, it just has never happened. Not Google, the Google, the Google Plex, the Google bank accounts that we were expecting come out. It just, I actually don't know how big a threat big tech is. I know everybody was afraid of it a few years ago about them moving in and, and taking a big market share either way from banks or from fintechs. But um, it's not easy, not easy for them. I think, I think what's telling is when Facebook got, you know, got in trouble for data privacy and then mm -hmm. came out with Libra and yeah. they flipped out over Libra. Oh, you know, yeah. which, they went crazy. Nobody like, was going to allow that product to market. Yeah. Forget data privacy. You can yeah. steal all their data as you're not creating new money. You know, yeah. it was, it was that shows like it's, it's a, and when, when people try to get involved in FinTech and they're like first coming in, you know, I've, we have analysts or friends of mine come up and they, we talk about FinTech. And the thing I say is like, you have to realize it's a different beast regarding compliance regulators and just, the market pushing back when you when you're an entrant trying to come in and and fight with JP Morgan and fight with City and fight with the Fed and fight with all these different things. It's a different Such fight. A grind. Yeah, oh, it's it's different. And so big tech is sort of you know okay maybe they've decided to go in different areas. Maybe they're working on different things now. They're you know going to work on the metaverse 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 I metaverses. You're my editor, so you tell me. What's I actually, I, I haven't actually thought of that yet, so I, I, <laughs> I I'll like come metaverse. back to you on that one. Can we do metaverse I? I like that. It that's feels my, like that's what it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So in the in the different metaverse I, ISIS, whatever it is, you know, having payments and and you know just just embedding having fin and this sort of something that you spoke about years ago, which is you know fintech being the pipes to mm -hmm. you know and banks being the pipes around everything just to enable uh transactions enable finance enable commerce you know so that it, it could be that big tech sort of you know hasn't really because they haven't uh, really jumped in as as hasn't been as transformative as, as transformative as we've wished it could be that you know we have that step back and that compromise yeah josh i have to say it's always great talking shop with you always great we got to do this now we're going to do this definitely more often because definitely we have to, we have to bring Absolutely, more definitely more discussions about colored cards into the world now that there's no bn now it's all bnpl and digital <laughs> josh leggett thanks for joining me on the challengers podcast zach thanks for having me have a good day everybody